Live from the Talking Joe Studios, it's Talking Joe. Fighting for fandom wherever there's trouble, the podcast on the air. Talking Joe is there. Talking Joe. Talking Joe. Talking Joe is on the air. Uh, we had retired that somewhat self-indulgent jingle, but I thought, given what we are talking about today, I'll give it one last whirl. You are watching and listening to Talking Joe, the dedicated G.I. Joe comics podcast. And uh, today we are talking about the somewhat brilliant comic from IDW called Saturday Morning Adventures. And we'll be talking to all of the creative team about it. But uh, first up, we'll be talking specifically to the writer. So we are talking to Eric Burnham, a Minnesotan writer and artist. He's worked on many different books at IDW, often with Danny Schoening and colorist Luis Antonio Delgado. Past work includes Ghostbusters, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Galaxy Quest, Scarlet Spider, New Warriors, Red Sonja, and Kiss, but most importantly, G.I. Joe Saturday Morning Adventures, which is why we are talking today. So, hello, Eric, and welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Uh, thanks for having me. And pardon me in upfront, just in case I cough, I've, I'm just getting over a cold and it just doesn't want to let go. Yeah, I'm on. I've, I've given myself some lens sip because I think I've got hay fever and mm. maybe a cold. It's yeah. difficult to tell when you've got them both at the same time. So. You know, that's that's true. I live in the middle of the woods, so I get a lot of both, uh, you know. Mm. So so uh, I'm feeling okay at the moment, but but yeah, if I, <laughs> you may find me blowing my nose, having a silent mm. cough, but. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if I hit the I'm, mute I'm and go like this, it's probably just the cold. Yeah, so, <laughs> so nobody's confused. Mm-hmm. So where where are you joining us today from, uh, Eric? I am from the, uh, I, I'm in the middle of Minnesota. Um state of minnesota the brainerd lakes area just smack dab in the middle of the state so relatively close to canada relatively center of uh, of the u.s so yeah excellent and as a kind of a tradition now is when people come onto the stream and they've got exciting looking backgrounds i always like to have a little nose so, so it looks like you've got some ephemera there sat behind you <laughs> what what the highlights there uh yeah no just just a, a bunch of things that found their way onto my wall i got some uh some art from uh my friend evan shaner who did a a, a ghostbusters guest series and then a uh a, a sketch i had from him before just some random toys and and uh and an ecto-1 license plate just you know just something to distract me uh, occasionally <laughs> when i'm when i'm you know in the middle of writing something and, I, and i'm stuck i just i look around and and see some of the uh the junk i have hung up uh just to get out of my own head that's the excuse anyway <laughs> that's the excuse excellent stuff uh let's so we're talking about uh your your excellent series jojo uh, saturday morning adventures uh, today and we'll be be joined by some of the the rest of the team later on, but we're going to take this adv- advantage of this opportunity to sort of delve into your background specifically because we spoke at length with uh, with Danny when he joined us a little bit earlier when he was talking about the one off the Untold Tale I think it was that that he had he had done issue two yeah, yeah. seven eight which was a which was a great issue so so for for you 
Um, what was your kind of your first exposure to to GI Joe? Was was it a property that you uh, kind of got into as a young Minnesotan? Uh, you know, honestly, this was the one. This is this is why it's funny to me. This was the one that I wasn't allowed to have because it was my brother's uh, set of toys. Oh no! You can have you can have these. He gets those because he he got the first GI Joe, so that became his thing. However, <laughs> um since we we did share a room for a while growing up whenever the cartoon was on i was i was right there watching the cartoon and getting a kick out of it so even though i didn't get mm -hmm. to play with the toys <laughs> i did i did get to watch the cartoon and, and uh enjoy that immensely right how would how much older was your brother than no than you? no yeah i'm the older brother but he got those first, right. so i'd be yeah yeah uh he's he's uh, about uh two years and change younger than me Wow, three years wow. actually. Sounds, no. <laughs> sounds advers adversarial my my oh, brother okay. was like about three years younger than me and um our, our sort of collection i started it first as i was collecting it as as it was coming coming out really when it was starting yeah my brother just got into it because he loved everything that, that i was into sort of and uh, and yeah it was very much a sort of shared uh, shared collection <laughs> so <yeah>. in interesting <laughs> mm -hmm. it's, and sim actually a similar thing with co-presenter tim sort of very much uh, a shared collection although i think they had they definitely had ownership of individual figures between them. They'd be like, that one is mine. That one is yours. But mm -hmm. um, I, I think my parents just didn't want to keep track of who owned what. So it was just like, okay, these ones all look the same. They belong to him. These ones look the same. They're you. We're, we're, we're keeping it simple. <laughs> Keep it simple. Yeah. Sort of somewhat aptly for the purposes of this future work, you were, while, while you didn't get the full experience of the toys, you, you did get a chance to, to watch the, the cartoons. And did oh, yeah. that make much of an impact at the time? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, no, I I uh, I got to, I got a kick out of it. I uh, I liked stuff that had action and humor, and uh, GI Joe had both. Mm -hmm. So uh, you know, it worked out. And you know, this is I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent. I know that it was not on a Saturday morning. <laughs> um, I know that it was uh, that it was a weekday show, and I enjoyed watching it every weekday, getting back from school, and you know, mm -hmm. hitting GI Joe and real Ghostbusters and the whole nine. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it just, you know, syndicated weekday afternoon adventures just doesn't have quite the same ring as Saturday morning. So I, <laughs> so that's, I just, I wanted to, to, to throw that out before I forgot it, but no, I, I did. I enjoyed, um, I enjoyed coming back and I enjoyed, I enjoyed the five parters and I enjoyed, I mean, I think it's obvious from the story that I did write that I enjoyed the weird when they just jumped into the weird <laughs> stuff that, you know, it, it just, um, that that was so much fun. I mean, I mean, not just the the supernatural weird stuff, the Egyptian gods, whatever, but I mean, just the science fiction weird stuff, the fatal fluffies, the, you know, all of that stuff. I I, I enjoyed that they just they just ran with it, they rolled with it, and uh, you know, it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So so you sort of touched on it just now. So the the title of Saturday Morning Adventures, as you say, not as catchy as uh, Get Home from School, and then it's that program that you watch. Sort of mm. mid afternoon on school weekdays adventures. So, so where did the where did the title actually come from? Who who held the pen on the title? Was it one that you came from? Was it IDW Saturday, Saturday Morning Adventures? That that was uh, that was IDW, and that was because well they plan on doing more. As a matter of fact, it was just announced I'm doing a uh, Ninja Turtle Saturday Morning Adventure. Oh wow! So, so that's that's continuing on. They just um uh, they launched it with GI Joe because uh, when Danny and Luis and I did the uh, Ghostbusters Transformers crossover and Dan just nailed the animated look for the Transformers. At that mm. point, we were like, well, we should do 
we should do uh, an animated Transformers book or an animated Joe book or an animated Joe and Transformers book just to, you know, get this look uh, back out there again. And, um, you know, we, we pitched uh, first the idea for, for uh, Joe and Transformers to Hasbro and they said, we don't well, want to like do a crossover, crossover. like a crossover, right. like a, like a Sunbow, uh, you know, crossover. They didn't Ooh, want to do that. What could yet. have been? What could have been? Yeah. <laughs> they, they, uh, they didn't want to do that yet. Be for you know they they had their own reasons which I won't speculate on but uh, they they said we could do you know we could do GI Joe so that rolled right into GI now I have a whole pitch a whole story for for Transformers and GI Joe that uh, would have been fun to do but uh, we we rolled on with uh, with GI Joe and and all of that 100 percent of that was just because Danny who comes from animation is so good at nailing exactly the uh, the look of every single thing every he, he's on model 100 percent, and that's mm. really the the uh where where the book came from we want to get dan to do what he does so well on on an animated property is, is this something that you'd been talking about doing before dan did um the a real american hero issue then 278 or so had it looking, kind of been percolating before that point looking back um he was scheduled to do the real american hero but we were talking about it before Mm-hmm. So, so technically, yes and no, <laughs> but um, no, we, we just it was just basically on um, on the strength of Dan being able to draw on model anything that he needs to draw, and have it look, you know, the the way it's supposed to. Just look. right. So, yeah. Yeah, and 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 that was, uh, I mean, yeah, it's hundred percent. This is this is a uh, a Dan Shoning, you know, get get him to do what he does kind of project, and I just lucked into being along for the ride. <laughs> Very modest. <laughs> So, so we talked about um, watching the cartoons after after school. Did you get um, did you get exposure to the GI Joe comics as well? When as a yeah young yeah guy? Uh, some um, I never lived near a comic shop, so it was always catch as catch can. And uh, you know, if I happen to spot something on the newsstand, or if I happen to get like mm-hmm. um, occasionally, you know, my my parents would get me like a uh, just like a, a grab box of comics that there would be some GI Joe stuff in. I did get to read some of that. And, you know, sometimes it would come in the middle of the storyline and I was confused. <laughs> um, other times, uh, yeah, I mean, one of the ones I remember specifically buying off the stands was, um, if you remember the cover with uh, with Destro, Snake Eyes, and Cobra Commander all unmasking on the cover. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, yeah, that, that yeah. grabbed me. I said, I, well, I have to have that, you know. So um, not as uh, not as many as, as you know, say something like uh, like my, my old favorite Spider-Man, but I did get a, a decent chunk of the G.I. Joe comics. Don't don't tell Larry I didn't read more than I did. I'm <laughs> <laughs> I'm just re- trying to remember. I heard someone talking about that issue unmasked uh, unmasking. I'm struggling to remember who it was that said this, but they said that it was an issue that they bought, and they saw the cover unmasking. Finally, going to have the you know Snake Eyes, Destro, Cobra Commander unveiled. And they were so disappointed when you didn't actually see their faces. They were like, that's it. I'm out. <laughs> that that cover was just, I mean, it was a heck of a sales pitch. I mean, seriously, yeah. that, that you know, whoop, mine, you know, didn't even, didn't even flip through it. Absolutely. So. Um, what else, what else was going on in, in your world as you were sort of, you know, watching these cartoons, reading comics? What, what was the big things for you then in, in those uh, early years before you then sort of moved into wanting to, to do you know comics professionally well if you if you if you talk to my mom i kind of always did around four or five i said i wanted to either write comics make comics i should say or be a magician um i don't have the manual dexterity for for hand magic i'm, I'm no good with card <laughs> tricks 
Uh, so it became it became comics because uh, I, I like storytelling and mm-hmm. I I enjoy I enjoy writing prose. I enjoy writing screenplays. Um, but I really love comics straight up. I think everybody who works in this industry at their core loves comics. They don't get into it because it's not something else. They get into it because it is what it is. And, um, you know, given, given all things being equal, it's just, it's a wonderful method of storytelling. And I, uh, so yeah, no, I, I wanted to do that. It was also to, to be fair, you know, just not to contradict what I just said, it was easier to get a comic out than something like a movie because I didn't need to, <laughs> I didn't need to wrangle anybody else. <laughs> I could, uh, you know, worse come to worse. I could, I could put something together on my own, yeah. but, um, no, I mean, just the love was always there and it, it never occurred to me that it was something that I couldn't do or shouldn't do. It was just something that I wanted to do. And, you know, it took a while, um, took a while before I was able to, to do something and, and get it out, uh, to an audience regularly. But I mean, you know, it mm. was always work towards. So. Mm. And it's interesting you say that you kind of wanted to, to work in comics from such an early age, because. Uh, I quite often hear the story of there just being a moment of realization that actually comics are a thing that are made and they don't just magic up as Mm -hmm. if conjured by a genie, that there are actually people sort of working to kind of produce these, these things. So yeah, I guess that realization came to you early that, you know, somebody has to make these things. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, well, you know, I mean, I, I was, I was reading uh, very early and you see on the, on the cover of a book, that there's an author. So somebody made this and it just, you know, it, it, again, it just didn't occur to me that that wasn't the Mm -hmm. case with, with everything. Although I, you know, I was probably a little bit more naive about how many people it took to make any given (laughs) thing, but, um, but yeah, no, I just, uh, you know, I just figured, okay, well, well, these, these people here, they get, they got a credit box. It says buy. Okay. They made it. If they can make it, I should make it. Stan Lee most of the time wasn't it yeah. <laughs> big letters and there, was then, a, there was a lot of Stan Lee actual, yeah yeah the actual people who made it in a much smaller font but so so after kind of wanting to make comics at a, a young age what was the what was the route that that you somehow found to, to make it as a profession well okay um I'll give you a condensed version uh around abouts of uh, the late 90s I was working in radio uh, you know as a doing um both um announcing on-air broadcast stuff i was doing website stuff i was doing stuff you know in the office the company got taken over i got laid off so i had no job for a while so i was spending more time on the internet i was hanging out on message boards talking with people about comics and you know eventually i got to be friends with some of these people on the message boards we started hanging around in group chats in the the Mm. uh, late lamented aol instant messenger and in these group chats, a lot of them complained about, you know, Marvel or DC, they're, they're not as good as they used to be. They suck. Uh, I hate I hate how they're doing this. I hate how they're doing that. Finally, somebody said, well, if you guys can do better, why don't you put your money where your mouth is? So December of 2001, we decided to do an anthology, a, a group of us. We put together that anthology in record time, I think like eight months, seven, eight months for an 80-page book. Mm. We got it done. We got it out. And then we decided to continue on. We we did a few more of the anthologies. Um, we got uh, we got one shots. We put out a mini series. You know, just just a, a bunch of projects. One of the people who uh, who worked with us, Tom Waltz, wow. he, he we put out his mini series, Children of the Grave. He got it collected over at IDW. Got friendly with them. Became an editor. He liked my work at the uh, the comic book Nick Landime. 
that we that we put out. He liked that, so he offered me a chance to pitch for an anthology that he was working on at IDW. I got in there. Then he said, "Hey, would you like to do this? You know, this toy tie-in." Yeah, I'll do a toy tie-in. So I did that. Then it was a tie-in to a movie, which was the A Team, and then it was Ghostbusters, and it just kind of you know incremental steps. Okay. Um, all from, you know, Mimi losing my job and hanging out on the internet on to me doing this full time. Excellent. Uh, sounds like a very similar uh, origin story, actually, to Brandon Jerwa, who's a G.I. Joe, Joe writer for Devil's mm-hmm. Jew uh, as well, where he was laid off from a radio station and then <laughs> used that time to write some spec scripts, send them off and, uh, and got picked up by um, uh, Devil's Jew. So, yeah, I, I uh, wish I wish that I had been as... Um, you know, uh, as proactive as that. This, this just kind of, you know, hey, you should be in the uh, the anthology. Okay, yeah, I, I can do that. I have time. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, we've actually got um, uh, Lewis waiting in the wings as well, so I'll cool. uh, add, add him in. Hello. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. Hey, man, it's been a long time. How have you been? Been good, been good. It's, it has been a long time. Holy cow. Oh, it's been like seven years, I think. Oh man, no, I can't have been that long, can it? Yeah, yeah. I oh, think my... the last time I went to Comic Con was 2016, I think so. Oh my goodness, it has been that long. That is too long. <laughs> yeah, it's been too long. I mean, Ghostbusters, Godzilla, G.I. Joe, it's been years since we talked yeah. face to face. Yeah, oh my goodness. See, this is, yeah, this is, well, thank you. Uh, appreciate you, you getting us both on the podcast. We at least say hello to each other. <laughs> Are you kidding me, guys? Yeah. I, I'm actually honored to be on the podcast. I, I was trying everything. I, I I even put out an alarm clock so I wouldn't wake up too too late or be hangover or anything. So I was really focused on being on time. <laughs> I had three alarm clocks, two on my phone, one on my wow. uh, yeah, the same thing. I was just like I was working late last night. I'm like, oh crap, that's right. Tomorrow I can't be late. I can't oversleep. Uh but we've been working together since uh since two thousand and eleven. On, on yes. I mean, Ghostbusters and and Ninja Turtles, Ghostbusters and, and just just Godzilla bunches of stuff. And uh, you know, I'm recognize how lucky I have been to work with Dan and Luis. It's just been you know. So so how did the how did the dream team all form? Did you was it was it a case of the editors you know going you're the writer you're the pretty much you know, yeah penciler, Tom, you're the colorist and Tom Tom Waltz was going to put together the ongoing Ghostbusters book. And he said, uh, have, have you have you seen Dan Schoening's work? And I said, not yet. I think I'm going to hire him. Okay, cool. <laughs> Look at his work. <laughs> yeah, that's the right choice. And and uh, Louise, Tom has been uh, Tom had been raving about his uh, color since before before Ghostbusters. So um, yeah, it was all it's all just Tom Waltz uh, recognizing you know finding finding people and um, and putting them where they should be. Well, but don't forget yeah, what, that you did uh, you did a Ghostbusters infestation. And I did. Then I did a Ghostbusters convolution on my own. Mm-hmm. With, I don't remember the name of the artist. Mm-hmm. And then I had to do a tryout with Dan because he was doing what in some hand just happened. Mm-hmm. And I had to do a tryout and then approve of my colors. So I started working with him. So then the ongoing uh, happened. And he said, I like Eric from infestation and I like Dan and Luis from yeah, you know the WhatsApp. What just something just happened. Sorry, and that's how it happened because we we've, we've already worked on Ghostbusters in a couple of projects, each mm-hmm. one of us, but not together. And then he decided that that was the dream team. So he uh, he contacted all of us, and that's how we started. Yeah. Wow. 
And I, so, I, yes, I didn't so know it from that. I knew that they, I knew that they'd worked on uh, on Ghostbusters stuff uh, separately, but I, I wasn't sure that that was the 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 full amount of the details that uh, how Tom <laughs> came to picking them. So let's just pick up some more stuff on on the on the on the writing. So I was looking at um, your website. It's got um, a uh, a sort of a sample script sample uh, sort of scripting kind of process where you talk about yeah your method right. your method for, for for writing and what that might uh, actually look at so um can you can you talk to that a little bit and and sort sure. of specifically you know how it applied to uh the the gi joe book as as well kind of whether that fit, fit nice nicely in your standard method or not oh yeah no uh everything gets written um largely the same because it's it's a uh, comfortable process. <clears throat> I have first. I have uh, if if I'm lucky enough to to do a general outline uh, of the entire series. Sometimes I, I have a, a shorter outline, um, but I have a, I have an idea of the story from beginning to end. I get that out of the way, <clears throat> which you know I think that is that part part one where I plot. Uh, then I and, break it down by and, the page. Oh. And and did the this kind of the main thrust of the story that came to you pretty early on as a a fairly kind of you know, solid idea of, of kind yeah. of, yeah, it's yeah. going to be this genie plot or, or did you? Right. I, I, I wrote something you... that, well, no, I, I know that I, I knew that I had four issues. I needed to know that I needed to have an idea fast because uh, the schedule was, it, it was tight. And I knew that I, I needed to be doing something different. Um, I would have needed more time to come up with the, you know, the heavy sci-fi that that gi joe often leaned into that something that was different uh different enough from anything the show had done but they hadn't done as many of things like this and the oft references egyptian gods episode was the one that uh that sold me on doing the aladdin initiative the the genie thing it's something that a lot offers a lot of um possibilities uh, a lot of comedic possibilities a lot of action possibilities and if there's there's any well how does this make sense logically it's magic it's a genie it's a shortcut so <laughs> it, it all helped uh, it all helped to to fit into the time that i had which i think I, I only had a few days to come up with a plot to get off to bat to uh hasbro for approval so yeah it was, so it was, it was quite it was tight. quite a condensed couple of days just coming up with the overall plot yes. idea and so it wasn't too much time to kind of um and um about different different ways you could go yeah, it was it was kind of Tom emailing me on a Tuesday and saying, "Can you get me something by Friday?" <laughs> so um, you know, one of those things. But yeah, I get the general idea down, um, and then by page, I uh, I tend to write just the dialogue with minimal scene action, whatever I need to remember, and uh, you know, you know so I, I break it down. Yeah, uh, and then the and then after that, after I have that part, the uh, the, the generation pass there, I go in, I format the script. And while I'm formatting the script, I add in more description. I, uh, I find out if dialogue is redundant or repetitive or unnecessary or needs to be fine tuned or expanded in some way. Um, I find out if, if certain pages and panels can be expanded or condensed or cut. And when all that is done, it's like, I've done, you know, two drafts of the script or maybe even three drafts, depending on how I do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, before it gets turned in as a first draft. So most of the time, writing it this way has kept me from having to do extensive rewrites from uh, from editorial notes or licensor mm -hmm. notes, because I try to um, 
I try to anticipate the the where the plot holes are. I, I don't always uh, find all of them. And that's, you know, that's why the editors are there or licensors are there. And sometimes it's a matter of something that I didn't know needed to be in there. We want this to be about this or say this mm -hmm. or this character can't do that. And then, you know, you make changes. But um, I'll go I was going to say in the cases of, of like a licensed book, which which you often are working on, the, the licensor and the editor are seeing these early drafts to kind of stop, you know, stop you early. Uh, they turn to make sure that you're not going off in a direction that they don't like. Right. Well, I mean, they they uh, they don't see anything until a script is finished, and then you know, yeah. But I mean, they they do approve of the plot first, uh, so I have to get that to mm -hmm. them first and, and get approval there, so that there's nothing, so that the the general direction is is approvable. And then uh, when they get the scripts, then uh, they go over the minutia and say yes or no or mm -hmm. why something needs to be changed if it does. But so far, like I said, working uh, working the scripts the way that these. Uh, this uh, this little article says I do has saved me some trouble, but you know, <laughs> it, it's 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 not perfect, and there's still you know every once in a while I'll still make a mistake or or still do something that a that a fan says that I shouldn't have done because everybody knows, <laughs> and uh, you know I mean you know it's it's not infallible. I'm not infallible, but I try. <laughs> sure, I'm not infallible. I'm very modest. That's nice. Um, uh, so so once you've got this the script cross and it, it you know it's going to go to the artist who's who's often. Danny, in, in in your case, does that mean do do you then sort of have much interaction with um with you, with your artists and specifically Danny for this project about um you know what he'd maybe like to draw what you know interpreting a particular page that kind of thing? Yeah, no, uh, usually, and we have more of a shorthand having worked together for so long that you know he doesn't have too many questions. Dan will come to me or Luis will come to me if there are questions about something that I didn't have in the script, because mm. most of the time I'm just like, they know what they're doing. I'll let them pick, <laughs> pick the proper route. <laughs> but um, yeah, if they have a question, I'll, I'll respond back when there are uh, first thing Dan does is he does thumbnails for the pages. If something comes up where that's not going to work because this reason I'll, I'll let him know, which I mean, that's come up like, one out of a thousand times where Dan has to change something because it, it doesn't work with the mm -hmm. intent of the script. Very super rare. More often uh, what'll happen is if he draws something differently that doesn't quite work with the script, I'll just, I'll rewrite the, the dialogue to make it make sense. And uh, you know, because that's, that's the easier thing than, than redrawing or recoloring, you know, it, it's just, it is, it's easier. So um, I'll fine tune after the art is in. And okay. uh, if there are any questions before uh, before Dan's going to draw, he'll he'll shoot them to me. But usually there aren't too many questions, and usually there aren't too many problems. So it's just you know, one, two, three. He, I, I, you know, I, I, if it wasn't for the fact that there was a step with licensing that had to be approved, um, I'm sure that I wouldn't see the pages until they were completely done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think um, when Larry Hammer writes, he often. He often does a dialogue pass kind of over the final art to kind of make sure that the yeah he's not that he's kind of talking around any anything that might be slightly ambiguous in the art or mm -hmm. or sort of talking to the facial expressions that have been drawn and that kind of thing. And I mean, and a lettering pass for that kind of thing is absolutely necessary. Larry, he still gets to do the old school Marvel method. The younger writers, the writers who haven't, you know, come up doing that, don't have the the uh, the deserved clout that Larry has. Uh, no, we have to turn in a full script to be approved before the artists even get a whiff. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, it's a, it's a different method, and you know that that option isn't um, isn't available for us. And I, you know, I'm not entirely sure 
that um, some writers and artists would mesh with it as well, but, um, or excuse me, so just, just some writers, but either way, once the art is done, it's always worth going through and uh, doing a polish on the dialogue. And, and, you know, if the face says mm. it, you, you don't need the words sometimes. I had a, actually I had a question that I meant to ask a little earlier that, that I'll get to now, which is that I think on your bio, you describe yourself as uh, a writer and artist. There we go. Writer mm -hmm. and artist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, could you talk to the artist aspect uh, a little bit? So, well, um, when I started out, I was well, I was doing uh, comic strips and I was doing you know other things. But when I started out with uh, the anthology that I mentioned, I didn't have a whole lot of uh, contacts of friends who did comic art. I didn't definitely didn't have the money to pay somebody what they were worth to draw the mm -hmm. story. So I just I, I did it myself, and. Um, Sometimes the art looks better and sometimes the art looks worse and it'll always take me about five times as long to draw something. So a, a page that takes Dan a day will probably take me, you know, two, maybe three days to get to the same level of quality. <laughs> but, um, and which is why, which is why for the, for the, uh, freelance stuff, I'm, I'm always going to, I'm always going to be a writer. I, I just can't work to the speed that the, uh, mm, I just mm. need to, but, um, yeah, no. Uh, if 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 worse comes to worse, and I have a story that um, that I that I want to tell, I I can technically tell it myself. Um, you know, I can I can I can do it good enough to tell the story. I'm not going to say it's as, it's to the level that you would want to uh, that uh, that a publisher would would necessarily want to pay me for regularly. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, I, I I can you know it's it's not it's not illegible. It's not that's the wrong word. But I mean, it's not uh, incomprehensible. Is the word I'm looking for. Excellent. I'm wondering, seeing as we've got both of you uh, here, uh, Eric, did did you have any questions for for Lewis or and Lewis? Did you have any questions for for Eric? I I wonder when he has time to sleep because I've <laughs> I've, I've seen his name on a lot of books, and uh, you know, uh, Tom, Tom has told me a few things, Luis. I I, I won't mention, but uh, just you know, yeah, you just I, when when do you have time to sleep? You're a busy guy. Jeez. Well, I have I have to be busy, guys, because the colorists don't make as much money. Yeah. I mean, thankfully, I live in Mexico, so it's cheaper for me. So that's not a big problem. But I, you know, I love what I do, and sometimes you don't know when the dry years are gonna come. So I have now mm -hmm. offers for to work in projects, so I have to take them. I have to yeah. to take the advantage of this moment because maybe in ten years uh, nobody's gonna want to hire me. So I, I just I don't know. I drink a lot of coke. Well, drink Coca-Cola and sometimes <laughs> yeah. Red Bull. And I try to do as much as I can and enjoy the weekends with um, friends and family. And other than that, I just wake up, work, take a bath and work until I go back to bed. So that's the way I have to do it. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm exhausted now just hearing it. So, <laughs> I mean, I have a similar schedule, but I just it, it seems so like so much more work with the color. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not it's not the same. I, I could never write anything. I mean, I would be I would be saying like G.I. Joe says, Duke says, I hate you. Cobra Commander says, I hate you back. <laughs> so we all I, have our advantages. <laughs> I mean, that that was my first dialogue pass. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's okay. We've... No, I mean, I, I remember what Eric was just saying that he uh, he tries to do his art, his own artwork when when he started. I remember the first time Eric and I were part of the same book. It was uh, House of Horrors, Gene Simmons' House of Horrors. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
issue two or issue three. That was yeah. my first book uh, on IDW, my first professional gig. And I yeah. think it was the first time Eric did a book as well. So that's the first time that Tom, Eric and myself were credited on the same book. Yeah, that was that was my first IDW work as well. Yeah. Holy and cow, that was I, back in 2007. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, boy, that just it just feels so much long, so much longer ago than I want to. <laughs> and, and Mark, you don't know this, but every time that Eric writes the script, he does a little at the beginning, he says script by uh, Eric Burnham, uh, edits by Tom Waltz, um, drawing by well, pencils by, by Dan Shannon and colors by Luis Delgado. But he always does some kind of funny uh -huh. joke. And it's just hilarious to me to. I, I wait for that joke every time I open one of his scripts. It's like I want to see what well his mind is uh, traveling, how far he's going. That, that he has to invent uh, nicknames for each one of us. For we've worked together for a hundred books. I mean, between Ghostbusters, Godzilla, and GI Joe, almost a hundred books. So he has a wow. hundred jokes for my name. I mean, that's how crazy <laughs> Eric is. He's amazing. I mean, uh... he's one of the funniest guys ever. I, I kind of wish that they would put those in the credits sometimes, but they never do. Oh, <laughs> no. Nice. Amazing. Oh. The last time, I think the last one he sent to me was Pantone List. Luis, Pan, Luis, I don't know, something between Pantone and Colorist and my name. And it was really funny. I mean, I don't remember <laughs> right now because I don't have it in my computer. But it was like, ah, this guy is always making me laugh. <laughs> well, that's, if you that's... had a colorist who couldn't talk, they might be a Pantone mine artist. <laughs> There you go. There we go. Okay. I'll have to, I'll got... have to remember that one. <laughs> We've got uh, Danny and Tim waiting in the wings, so I'll add them into the stream. I really want to talk Joe with you. It's a real American Tim. American Tim. So here we go. It's a real American Tim, Tim Finn. And Danny Dapper Dan ah. There I am. There you are. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Yep. We can Great. hear you good. It's good to, I was listening in a, a little bit on what uh, Luis was saying. It was nice. Nice to hear your voice again, Luis and Eric. Yeah. Nice hey, to bro. meet you, Mark. Nice, nice yeah. to meet you, Tim, virtually. <laughs> I like yeah. that comment yeah, you have in the background, Tim. I'm in a hotel <laughs> in. Uh, I'm in a hotel in California. This is Plan B, and ah, nice. So this is the wall behind me, and always, uh, always good to have a Plan B. <laughs> uh, if there was a second computer, I could HDMI in it into it into this TV right here, and I have <laughs> actual GI Joe animation behind me. But so it's my 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 rectangle is only going to be one one out of six. So I thought I didn't need to go crazy with the background. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah, it's lucky that the the hotel had that comic there already that's uh yeah. very fortuitous i i think i think what you what 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 you might be saying is it's lucky that i don't travel without gi joe comics <laughs> mm -hmm. and diana davis said that she might join us at some point uh if she takes a a break from uh, looking after little trees diana is there hey there hey diana yeah diana, diana sort of um from your perspective how did what point did you hear about this this project and did, was it a normal project for, for you if it's, it's from what i've heard so far it sounds like you maybe a little bit more uh hands hands on at least in in the cover choices 
that's for the cover choices are because it's not if it's not hands on with a cartoon, the hands end up going on. Try prying my fingers off of anything to do with the cartoon. But when uh, when Tom told me about it, I just got so excited. I geeked out for 20, 30 minutes until someone told me, you know, stop, stop talking, please. We need to move on this. It, it, got, it was really exciting. He told me it was coming up. He showed me some of the stuff. And uh, before he said anything, I said, well, could, could I help on that one? Because I know a lot about the cartoon. I'm really into the cartoon. Um, David Thornton, who a lot of people know from Quick Kicks Theater, and I used to geek out over the mm -hmm. cartoon. If anyone knows anything, that would be that guy. But he's been, you know, off the grid for a bit. So I, I graciously, mm -hmm. not graciously, I excitedly volunteered myself for that and i'm lucky enough to live in los angeles where pretty much most of the storyboard artists actors writers directors they're still here and you run into them a lot and so for me with that when they were asking for variant covers i said this i i wanted to see this i'd love to see it those guys still enjoy talking about the uh, cartoon and doing them and they they love it would it be something that's possible? And Tom liked the idea. And uh, Larry and Rick liked the idea. And so it all worked out well. I mean, Larry and Rick's covers just came out. Larry's cover came out, you know, right before the movie hit the theaters. And mm -hmm. they, they, all three of them knocked it out of the park. Uh, Will was not necessarily available for anything new, which was lucky enough for me that they said, well, we'll do we'll just use that piece that he did for you. And he was fine with that too. So that was a, that was one of those happy, um, all the planets aligned properly for that one. But honestly, my job is just to sit and be in awe of, <laughs> of Eric, Dan and Luis, which I constantly am. That's, it's just, I, I'm lucky enough to be able to see these things put together, read them, and just just get to mm -hmm. immerse myself in something I've waited over three decades to see. But the hardest part for me was shutting up about it for a long time because <laughs> I knew about it long before other people did. And I just had to sort of sit and bounce up and down in my chair like, oh, it's coming. It's going to be so good. You guys don't know. So, yeah, it's been fantastic. And if they need something, I go get it. I, mean, I need, what was it? Dan said, I need as many pictures of Polly as you can get me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah, Here I go. Pictures. <laughs> so yeah, but it's it's Excellent. been it's just been so much fun watching them do that. Just watching them put it all together and being able to sit on the sidelines for that. It is amazing comic. I I've not heard one negative thing about it. Yeah, there's. I think you're right. From what I've seen as well, it's been sort of it. You know, the the one consistent is just people you know, really raving about it and, and having this genuine affection, you know, the five stars out of five stars, 10 out of 10, all of that kind of stuff. Two thumbs up if you've got two thumbs. So, so <laughs> let's, let's delve into it uh, a little bit. Um, so, so Danny, we were just talking uh, about the fact that um, you'd done your, your issue and you'd come on to talk to us about it. In fact, mm -hmm. uh, issue 278, there it is with uh, Snow Job and, and there'd been kind of discussions slightly prior, slightly after. How how did it, you know, when you were doing that issue in your mind, were you kind of thinking ahead to this this project as being a possibility and it almost being a tryout? 
No, it's actually a, a surprise for me. I wasn't ex expecting uh, to be able to uh, do the, the Sunbow style and or to do an arc of uh, stories based on the show. And uh, the the 278 issue was a lot of fun because it's kind of, it's not quite um, using that animated style. I was kind of looking more at the 80s G.I. Joe comic books um, at the time. And uh, yeah, Lu Luis brought his amazing color skills to mm -hmm. that issue as well. So it was really nice to be able to work with him. And uh, it was really cool to illustrate a script uh, that Larry wrote because he writes differently than Eric, who I'm used to. He writes all the dialogue first so I can kind of get an idea of how, uh, what kind of mannerisms and poses I want to use with the characters. But Larry, he writes it in a way that it's just kind of a breakdown of what he'd like to see in each panel. And then he'll add the dialogue later. So it was an interesting uh, way because like when I got to actually read the comic, it was really fresh and kind of like, oh, wow, OK, that's what he was going to say. There. Yeah. So but, uh, <laughs> yeah, so it was, it was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, and it was it's a different style, but um, equally as uh, exciting for me to be a part of. So but uh, my mm -hmm. my heart uh, lies with the Sunbow style because I grew up in the 80s. So getting to emulate that style as close as I could. Um, it was a it, real honor for me because, uh, yeah, I just love that. That cartoon was a really big part of my uh, my childhood. And I had quite a few of the toys. I never had that awesome aircraft carrier. I wish Nobody had that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I don't know anybody who owned it, but I remember one day a kid brought um, uh, Sky Striker to school and Everybody was just flipping out at recess. They're like, oh, everybody's huddled around him. He's like kind of showing it off. And yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it kind of, the, the nice thing about kind of going back to that style is that it kind of reminds you of what it was like to be a kid at the time. And I think a lot of people relate to that. So, yeah. Did you did you do? I guess this is for both Dan and, and Lewis. Did you did you do kind of any specific preparation to sort of get yourself in the GI Joe animated world, and, and sort of get in in that in that zone. Uh, do, do you want to go first, Luis, or should I go? Well, if I go first, it's going to ruin your answer. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll go first. Um, I, I watched a few episodes of the show, um, mostly to kind of get an idea of the movement and. Uh, I took a lot of references from like, I'll kind of go through and watch it and then kind of take screen grabs of it. I looked at a lot of the, uh, the original four episode pilot. And then uh, I kind of stuck between the season one and two after that, because I, and I would pick ones that I found to be the most, uh, I guess, the draftsmanship was higher quality because some episodes it kind of differs depending on what studio they give the animation to. So um, I believe it's Toy that I'm, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly, um, but they uh, I think they had that the highest quality. So I stuck with that mostly. And uh, but I, I remember a lot of the voices and everything as a, a kid, so I didn't have to do too much of uh, that immersion to kind of get back into the the feel of it. So. If, if you have never uh, read any of the interviews I, I gave when I was doing Ghostbusters with Dan and Eric, Dan has, um, every time he sends a page, he sends a color thoughts a file. And he he actually has all the, the screen graphs that he talked about. 
and he puts them on every file of every page. And he says, this, this panel has this reference and this panel has this other reference. So he has thousands of thousands of references that I use every time just to get in the mood. And you know, there are inconsistencies on, on those uh, cartoons back in the 80s. So if I have a, a question, I always went to Diana and, and I asked her like, ah, there is many, many different color choices for this character or for this background. Can you help me? Which one is the most accurate? And she would tell me, ah, this is the one. So before I, mm -hmm. <laughs> I go into the page, I have to make sure that I'm doing the right thing. And I have dance references and then I have Diana just to make sure I'm not making any mistakes. Yeah. And I also want to reiterate how important um, Diana's input was for this comic. It wouldn't look as good without her on the project. So thank you very much for your, your help with and uh, kind of putting up with me when I had asked for lots of references. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it has been nothing but a joy. It's literally three decades of pent up wanting to get that on the page. And again, my is you'll ask me for something and the, you know, the emails can be epically long. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get every single one. And Luis is right. There were some characters that were never drawn the same way twice. And in that situation, you just have to pick the one you think is going to be the most recognizable. Mm -hmm. And that's sometimes hard to do. Yeah, my biggest problem was Snake Eyes. I remember Snake, snake Eyes sometimes is blue, sometimes it's purple, sometimes it's mm -hmm. different kind of color. So I had to go to to Diane the first time he showed on the on the last page of issue three when he's on the like goodbye part of the of the cartoon and he's talking to the little kid outside of the comic book store. Mm -hmm. And I had to ask Diana, I mean I need to know which one of all of these references for Snake Eyes is the right one. And she made a choice and I, I went with it. I mean like she's the one in charge, she's the one she, who knows the book, well the characters. I went with mm -hmm. that character because that was the most difficult one. I asked once why Snake Eyes was purpley blue. And the response is really with hand-painted animation, a character who doesn't talk just turns into a black blob. Even if you have silver, it's just a black blob of paint. And mm -hmm. there's no voice to, to attract people's attention to them. Nowadays, things can be a little different with the computer enhanced or just computer animation. So they went with the blue or the purple just to make him more visible for the time when he was on the screen. But season different different seasons, he's more blue, more purple. Sometimes he's even like lilac colored. Yes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it, it's hard to make a choice, and if we make the wrong one, that's my fault. So I chose the way I like. It. <laughs> Aha! Blame me. It's also, it's also yeah. somewhat a rule in animation that you don't use that much black paint, and a couple shows in the '90s and aughts uh, tried to play with that rule like the HBO spawn. Um, oh, yeah. But um, some of it has to do with the, the limited range of broadcast television, the actual latitude of light and dark and color. And some of it has to do with sort of finger quotes, conventional wisdom, like what looks good. And if you think of characters that are in black, uh, I guess, I guess mainframe helmet and the Cobra bats are actually black paint, but you see what happens when mainframes in front of, if mainframes in a nighttime scene, or if there are a bunch of cobra bats next to each other, you start to lose the difference between them. <laughs> but actually, now um, that you're talking so about that kind of aspect with color, it, you have more range in animation because you have RGB kind of colors because it's digital. You can go darker, but when you are coloring a comic book, you are working on it on a computer that has the same 
range the RGB and the colors that are pixels and are based on light. And then you go to print and they go, they always go darker. So you have to be even more careful with the dark elements, characters, backgrounds on anything because it's going to lose when once it's, pr it's printed and you're going to lose the, the drawing or the art. And so you have to be even more careful when you are coloring comic books than when you are working on um, on a cartoon or something that goes on TV or live stream or whatever now, nowadays. Mm -hmm. um, just a question. While, while we're looking at the, the, G, the, the PSA um, page that we've got uh, there, um, when did the when did the PSA sort of uh, idea kind of come into the picture? Was that was that from you, Eric? Oh no, there was no way we were not going to do the PSAs. They they're <laughs> they are you can't you can't separate the PSA from the cartoon. So we were definitely going to do it in the comic book. Um, the only the only thing that that made weird was uh, the the uh, the bulk of the issue was was nineteen pages instead of twenty. We had to wrap mm -hmm. it up on an odd odd part to uh to get to the psa but no we we had to do the psas we we needed to um it was a little difficult figuring out what we were going to do with them once once we decided to do them but uh, I, i'm looking at this one now and i'm, I'm just kind of wishing that, that dan had drawn uh, snake eyes as boy george but um, <laughs> I, I wanted to fit that in but i i, I so want i was i was time. yeah yeah i was i was looking for a space myself <laughs> but um no, no, we, we, we just wanted to do uh, something that was fun. I, I think the uh, <clears throat> the thing that I got a kick out of was the the PSA in the first issue uh, about uh, about pirating, uh, excuse me, not pirating comics, about um, uh, ranting online. It was interesting to see who interpreted that how. Uh, there was there was some folks that says, what? Oh, they're saying that I can't have a bad opinion about something? That's not true. <laughs> no. I, <laughs> the, the point was, Calm down before you go start attacking people. Don't do that part. Have the bad opinion. <laughs> don't don't go online and start just you know going for the jugular. Don't do that. Um, mm -hmm. And some people did get that, and some people didn't. And so that was that was an interesting uh, discussion to see pop up uh, online about what we were we were saying that we couldn't. They, they, uh, some of them thought uh, I was saying that uh, they weren't allowed to criticize the book. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it would be nice if you don't, but I, that wasn't what I was saying. <laughs> I was just saying, don't be a jerk. <laughs> I have. Uh, yeah, we so should don't also, be a jerk, and then some people go, "Hey, yeah. <laughs> self-identifying as a jerk." We can also point out that uh, this is not the first time that a one-page PSA GI Joe comic has appeared in print. When the uh, when the 25th anniversary figures hit stores in 2007, there was a print campaign of one-page ads, which were drawn in not as much of a sunbow style as this but something approaching a sunbow style where uh am i am i, rem am I remembering this correctly there are these one page ads where uh, a kid realizes that uh the toys are back or now they're now there are comic packs right i think i recall those um like flint is in one of them and uh and it ends with you know and it, these are i think these are the back covers of the like half issues and the B issues, like 21 B okay. and 34 and a half. Um, and those were fun. They were, they were sort of flatly making fun of the PSA thing. And what I like about the four that are in this mini series is that they feel uh, warmer. They're not, uh, they're not just sort of making fun of the fact that there are PSAs and it was the eighties and, you know, grownups were worried about kids and, the show needed to have this message so that kids would be okay. These feel 
these feel authentic in a different way because they're not advertising something external to G.I. Joe, like comic book three packs available at Toys R Us. <laughs> and then also um, the first one is this joke, right? It's like, no, you're going to read this comic and have a reaction. And the PSA is telling you something. And then the second one, Snake Eyes doesn't say anything. So that's another joke. And then the third one, we see Law and it's it's escalating a little bit in its intensity, right? The final panel like, <laughs> is really wagging his finger in a way that would not have happened in any of the PSAs. And then the final one breaks format with Lady Jane and uh, Flint because it takes place after this story and it refers to her wanting to get dinner with Flint in issue three or four. And then also with her talking to the camera and not talking to a kid, that one feels much more like a PSA from He-Man or She-Ra uh, where it's not a kid getting into trouble and a Joe helps. The Joe is just telling you something, right? Like in today's episode. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah. the, this miniseries, my, my one sentence uh, review of this miniseries is pitch perfect, not long enough, right? I wanted more pages and I wanted a fifth issue because I couldn't quite tell if this was like a two-parter or a four-parter or a five-parter. We haven't had four-parters in the show. We had two-parters and five-parters. Um, and you know, I want all 20 page comics to be 22 pages, but, um, <laughs> the, the fact that, uh, and, and then the PSAs are just the icing on the cake. Uh, I so that's just going to call out the fact that, that even in the PSAs, we got a nice little sort of nod to the original, the, the one that we were just looking at with, with snake eyes, with the blonde boys is this, this same blonde boy that from, uh, from the cartoons. And I suspect that's probably mm. the case for, for most of the, the, not the the last one because I think that was just Lady J, but the other three were were probably also um, uh, yeah original kids. I'm guessing. Yeah, just everything kinda... down to the kitty cat. That kitty cat was in an episode. Now you're gonna have to go find which episode the white kitty cat. Was in. <laughs> <laughs> while we're while we're uh, can I jump ahead and ask about an Easter egg? Who who someone is since we're now referring to blonde kids and, right. and kitty cats? Sure. Um, all right, so to the creative team in issue three, when Cobra Commander yells, release the gladiators, and there are a bunch of Cobras uh, oh, yeah. cheering, yeah. I, can see, I can see the Games Master between Xandar uh, and Zarana. I can't mm -hmm. quite tell who is between Zarana and Dr. Mindbender. Oh, what's that guy's name? Let me just look in my. Uh... I've, I've I know got it. it. Oh, okay, Diana. Can can he's from it. the Pyramid of Darkness? It's, it's Colonel Slash. Okay. Yes, that's who it is. I couldn't remember his name. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. That's the one who went after Satin. Okay. Uh. <laughs> there you go. He's a maxi jerk. <laughs> yeah, he's got the nice hat. Colonel Slash the maxi jerk. Gentlemen would knock before entering a lady's dressing room. Cool it, sister. Where are those guys you were dancing with? How should I know, you maxi jerk? I've got enough problems entertaining this sleazebag audience without having to answer a bunch of stupid questions from the likes of you. But, but we think those men are agents of G.I. Joe. That term's <laughs> got to come back, maxi jerk. I think I'm going to start using that. <laughs> All right, so my question for Eric about starting this is, maybe for Eric and Diana, was there any chance that this was going to be five issues? Because that is oftentimes more the number for a miniseries, although IDW has been doing a lot of four issue miniseries recently, like Transformers Terminator. But can you talk about your, your scale of the story? Because 19 or 20 pages does not equal 22 minutes of animation. 
And so four issues doesn't equal four episodes or five episodes if you're sort of mushing it. So um, were you thinking of this as, as a comic? Were you thinking of this as seven minute acts? Were you thinking of this as a certain number of episodes? How did you, how did you uh, sort of pick the scale of your story? I mean, you work with the space you got. Uh, Hasbro did float out the idea of doing a five-parter, but it was already decided as four, as budgeted as four. So that was that was what we were going to get. And, you know, you just, you, you treat it as, uh, as, as, I mean, you treat it as, as, as the equivalent of a five-parter. If it's not five parts, it, uh, the, the constraints of a comic book can't, you know, we can't get as much, stuff in as an episode of the of the cartoon as you noted but um you know the 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 large beats this happens here this happens here duke captured here this happens here like you know they they'd all be the same just don't have as much um filler's not the right word but that's the word i'll use we don't have we don't have as much of the the filler between the big beats we had to cut a lot of that out so um it's a four-parter you can consider it the equivalent of a five-parter i would have liked to have an actual five-parter but no, four is four is what was there, and that was another reason that working on uh, working with a heavy fantasy element worked out. It, it it made a quicker resolution more easy to put on the page than maybe something a little bit more hard science. So um, yeah, it was just uh, it was just all about uh, all about filling the space uh, with you know as best we could. And then my second my follow up is. Okay, so Duke's in charge, but Flint is around. Mm. Hawk does show up, and there's a great explanation for why he's not there. We see 86 characters, right? Like uh, Stratoviper and, and Iceberg. We also see some 82 characters, like Rock and Roll. And the rule for the show generally was don't show characters that are more than two years old, because we're not selling those toys. And now and then, the storyboard artists would put them in anyway. Uh, or, the, or the writers would sneak them into the background. Cobra soldiers are more prominent than vipers, right? So when does this take place for you? I, I didn't want to nail it down, and they didn't make me nail it down. Part of the choices of the characters that we're in, I mean, it's after uh, post-season one, uh, Diana <laughs> made sure that we, we kept it there. Um, oh, yeah. But uh, it, it just, it, it came down to a choice of uh, going hardline with continuity on every beat, or having fun. This is our our only chance to do this with IDW. We have four issues. Is it going to be more fun to throw in a, a nod to this character or have this character that that Dan loved or that I liked or Luis liked in the book, or leave them out because they they don't technically work? Um, we 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 fudged it. <laughs> so so the the the, con the continuity is a little bit fudged. It's not it's not um, it's not a hundred percent. It doesn't hundred percent fit in. <laughs> It couldn't. Otherwise, we would have. I mean, you know, it, it would have been. It would have been us losing some of the fun. Yeah. And and that's that just wasn't. You know, that that wasn't appealing to lose to lose some of the fun for for you know for the hard <laughs> for the hard continuity. I, I I know there's some that would would look at it the exact opposite way. The hard continuity is the fun. But <laughs> we 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 went we went another way. And I mean, it's um, it you know uh, I'll, I'll I'll fall on that sword. You know, so be it. It's. It's just, uh, it, it was, we wanted to have the fun. Yeah. I got to hop it's... off guys. Cause my lunch is ending, but I want to follow mm -hmm. up and say, look, if you, if people insist on an explanation, 
It takes place between episodes one and two of Arise, Serpentor Arise. There. there we go. Boom. That's when it happens. And it fits. You know, it just, they had to go away for a little bit. And then they got back to that whole thing. thing. They're but busy. Really, yeah, right? It, they're not always do it just fighting one guy, right? So I, I love getting on with you guys. I was glad to see you all and hear you all in person. And I have to go, but uh, it was great. And I want to say again, thanks for letting me be part of it. Now back to G.I. Joe. I think a I think a minority of readers might have a problem with when does this take place, but I think this is more for a general audience. People who maybe read the other mm -hmm. GI Joe comics, maybe don't, but everyone knows this cartoon. And I think people who look at this this covered issue one, number one that we're looking at right now, who see um, sci-fi on the left side, like, well, he's eighty six, and then everyone else on the cover is you know eighty three, eighty four, eighty five. I think. Almost no one who walks into a comic book store and sees this and says, oh, like the cartoon. Almost no one is going to have a problem with that. Mm -hmm. So I think I think and a, Eric's answer and, and, and Diana's answer is, is works just fine. And a large contingent of people will, will have watched it, you know, coming back from school as a kid. And, and, and since then, maybe watch an episode here, watch an episode there but aren't necessarily going to have it so tight that be like, oh, between this episode and that episode, you know, it's the general feel for, for the piece. Um, let's jump onto some, some art process. Cause, cause uh, Danny very kindly supplied some, um, some pens, pencil sort of uh, layouts and the, the pencils as well as the, the, the finished um, colored version as, as well. So, so maybe uh, Dan, if you can sort of talk to, to this a little bit about, um, kind of the process that you you followed to to kind of pull pull a page uh, together. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so basically, what we're looking at now is uh, the thumbnails, and uh, I tend to do them a bit tighter than some other artists, just because uh, it's easier for me to kind of springboard off of it if uh, they're uh, more accurate and tight, closer to the model. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but uh, this uh, page, uh, beautifully written by Eric. It, his writing is so good that I'm able to visualize it in my my mind before I actually draw it. So it makes it really easy um, to get these panels down and uh, kind of the way I look at it is if I can tell the story without dialogue on the page, like you could follow it uh, visually, then I've done a good job. So that's kind of how I look at it. <laughs> so you could, you're could describing it as a, as a, th a thumbnail. That's implying little right yeah they, these are this, about um like this is this is big. analog they're not that large so like an inch by an inch or something like that no maybe two by two or something like that but and yeah, it, is it with an analog actual physical blue pencil yeah i use um i use these this is on a pencil extender actually but uh, uh -huh. they actually discontinued these pencils so i've been trying i've been playing around a bit with different brands but none of them quite achieved these i've actually been using these they're prismacolor color race pencils and i uh, started using them when i was in animation uh like 22 years ago my gosh wow time flies um, <laughs> but uh yeah no i've been using them since so yeah everything is uh what i do the process is i draw it and then i'll scan it in and uh i'll sometimes i'll do like little revisions underneath the larger thumbnail that i want to kind of swap in and I just organize it in Photoshop and then uh, 
when I get to the uh, the next stage with the pencils, I actually will, I kind of take a bit of um, uh, my animation training and uh, I usually draw each character separate from the background. So, and then I'll compile that later. Um, it makes it a bit easier for me if I need to do any kind of revisions on top of that. So I can easily, easily swap out a character without having to redraw the entire page or panel. So mm -hmm. everything is all separate. I, should, I wish I had got some examples if you can see back there. One of those is like a whole issue. Usually it's like about, I don't know, 200 pages of paper. So I go through a oh, lot wow. of paper, but I do recycle it all. So. <laughs> Yeah. So wait, this is you, this is wait, you recycle your originals. <laughs> Sorry. You recycle your originals, or you mean the, the uh, I, I recycle and... the like the sometimes the rough ones, but I'll keep the pencils. So you um, sell the rough ones. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a lot of hassle. <laughs> that, that's that's so I'm too busy drawing. I don't have time to sell the art. I guess that's kind of the way I look at it. <laughs> But um, yeah, no, I, I do keep all the pencil drawings, but uh, the blue stuff, the blue line, the rough work, usually I'll recycle it. So, but uh, hey, if you want to buy it, give me a shout. <laughs> See if you can work that out. But um, yeah, and then uh, as for this specific page in particular, you'll notice that the the crowd in the background, I modeled it after the episode that this arena is taken from. And uh, that that I kind of did in color. Um, on top, just to kind of kind of ease the process down uh, for Luis as well. So he just has to put the color behind it. Dan, can you talk about the actual line quality that you are finishing these characters in? Because what yeah. I what I think I see is something that looks like the the animation was drawn in pencil on paper and then photocopied on the cell. The backs mm -hmm. of the cells are painted with cell paint mm -hmm. and so all this black line we're seeing in this animation on TV is is a photocopy of a pencil line, and the the artists that are doing those lines are are being really careful. Mm -hmm. um, but you you can see some artifacting in how a pencil line might get a little broken from the like melted carbon of photocopy toner. So mm -hmm. I I think I'm seeing in this artwork a black line that is meant to look kind of like pencil and kind of like photocopy. Am I seeing something that's not there? You just drawing it? Yeah, no, you're right. It's actually, that's kind of the, the style I've always done comic book work in. And uh, again, I don't use, um, I rarely ink anything. I find it kind of its own medium in a way and it's quite difficult to be a really good inker. So uh, I use the, the black, color race pencil. And that's what I do to do the, all the cleanup work, which is something I also took from my days of doing animation. So, um, but uh, yeah, no, I just try and match. I, I look very closely at the show to make sure that they don't do any kind of thick to thin line quality like you might see in like a Disney animated film. But uh, a lot of their line quality is quite, the line is uh, very linear. There's no thick to thin. So, but uh, yeah, no, I just use Kind of a black pencil, I guess. Pencil crayon. That would be the way to describe it. Hopefully that answers your question. <laughs> yes, very much. All right. And then uh, I think the next stage is where Luis comes in and works his magic. Mm -hmm. 
So, yeah. Lewis, what can what can you tell us about uh, about this stage? I don't know, guys. I mean, it sounds like <laughs> you're saying magic, and it's actually trying to do what the, to say that like what I do. It's more difficult than it actually is because it's not. I mean, especially when I have dance line work, line art. He just does everything with his work, and then he sends the all the references. So I use Photoshop and I use the the picker to choose the colors, and I just do what he says. I mean, it's not that hard. So I, I wouldn't call it magic. I just do what Dan is asking me to do. And, and it's easier for me than try to actually come up with colors or palettes or anything. I just do what Dan says. And that's it. Well, here's, <laughs> here's a Much question. too humble. Here's, here's a question then for the two of you, right? Embedded in the animation process is that the characters are colored with flat color and hard yes. edges and the backgrounds are painted in gouache and there are yes. uh, gradients, right? Which comes from actual airbrushing or wet on wet paint technique. Mm -hmm. uh, and so like this page we're looking at right now, the color approach uh, from Duke and Cobra Commander is, is different than the background. Uh, so can the two well, of you speak to that? Well, yeah, like you said, I mean, the backgrounds are color different because they were color different in the cartoon. They were doing with a, I think it was, I don't know, some kind of uh, watercolor or acrylic or something. And that's what I do. I try to emulate the style with the backgrounds. And then when it com comes to the characters, I try to do the flat and just do the hard. I think Dan calls it cell shade, I think. And that's what I do. I try to, to approach every background and character the same way they did it on the cartoon because we're trying to to, uh, to give a mash or to play or stay on the same universe that they will do in it so i try to do the same i mean i just do that <laughs> okay and then jumping to an easter egg since we're looking at this page who can talk about the two visionaries that appear in the <laughs> those aren't visionaries those aren't visionaries <laughs> oh, that's all i can say that. they're legally <laughs> distinct <laughs> yeah, there's no holograms on them so they're not visionaries <laughs> uh i, I mean uh, hasbro still owns that brand hasbro still owns that ip but sure okay understood uh, i i will just say that as someone who watched uh, a different sunbow cartoon about um, uh, medieval warriors in the future who used magic uh, it was mm. exciting to see them uh, or characters similar to them uh, on this page. Yeah. In the script, it called out for gladiators. So my mind quickly just <laughs> kind of jumped to that. I don't know if that was intentional on uh, Eric's behalf, but he was setting me up. <laughs> it's called giving him rope. And... Yeah. <laughs> just no, don't no. hang myself with it. Yeah, That's exactly. <laughs> no, no. Uh, yeah, it's... Um... It, it, as often as possible, I, I don't try to give too much unneeded description on background elements because then they don't get to have any fun, mm -hmm. uh, you know, with, with stuff like this, which is fun. So, you know. Mm -hmm. Good. We've got a couple of other pages that, that, to, that you wanted to talk about, Dan. So uh, the next one is, I guess, exciting all-action page with a couple of, uh, couple of big close-ups of uh, some of the main characters, Destro and, and Flint, and then sort of mm -hmm. all our action in the uh, the other two panels with lots of, uh, this is the cameo panel actually, uh, sort of page, isn't it? There's lots of, all sorts of little details in uh, this one. Yeah, yeah, this one I just wanted to share. I, it's a fun 
a page because there's so many characters on it and it, it's rather time consuming, but it's kind of, I consider these, uh, the four issues to be a homage to the, to the cartoon. So it's my way of paying respects for the, the fun I had watching the show. So um, even though it was time consuming, it was a, a labor of love. I guess that's the word I was looking for. So, um, but yeah, I mm know -hmm. there's lots of characters in here that, um, you know, you just might just see on this one panel for the whole issue, but you know that, that now that you've seen them, you know they're <laughs> on that island, right? That. So, um, and there are some characters that I had not even heard of before. So it was kind of fun to throw them in as well. And uh, some of them were suggested as well. I know Diana really wanted to see uh, Mutt in there as well. So I had to draw him in there. And I love those, uh, I forgot the names of them. Unfortunately, it's, I'm drawing a blank, but the uh, the kind of robot armor suits that the the Cobra troops would wear. You guys... Snake armor, right? Yeah, is that what it's called? Snake. It's but it's in like an acronym, isn't it? I think. It's yeah. Got, like, yeah. Dots. Yeah. All the best Cobra names are. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, and it, so... and this one as well, we had to. I, I sometimes I go a bit overboard, and I I drew in characters <laughs> that I wasn't supposed to, so we took them out. But I just wanted to share them here so that uh, uh, the viewers could see which ones we kind of pulled out and get kind of get a little bit of a behind the scenes of things that didn't show up in the final copy of the book. So uh, you can kind of see some of the ones from the movie, which I remember seeing in the theater, which was a lot of fun. So uh, that's... Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I can see it now. I can see it yeah. now. <laughs> I, I always it's, love um, Nemesis Enforcer. He's like one of my favorite characters from that movie. <laughs> got, Although I don't remember big... him talking much, but I think he just grunted mostly. <laughs> mostly grunts. Or, yeah. yeah. We've got Big Lob up in the, the top left-hand corner of that panel. Yeah, he's up there. Him. And then there's like, uh, we had Barbecue in there. Or is that to Blowtorch? Sorry, this, Blowtorch. This is Blowtorch, um, and I'm drawing a blank again on the character that's in the forefront here. It's this Next one, Raven. Line. Raven, that's right. Yeah. So, the but I, I just love to pull Cobra out those characters, you know, and just draw them in and uh, just have fun with it, really. So, and yeah, we had uh, that... we had some other other very obscure ones, sort of just hiding in the detail. There, we had the Cobra sub captain from Memories of Mara episode mm -hmm. and uh yeah. Tollbooth, who i thought originally looking at the panel never appeared in the in the cartoon but i was wrong he did appear he just uh, d didn't appear in uh in his com uh, in his toy colors he was this this, this green but yeah. yeah i think this is probably the first time of him actually swinging the giant hammer that he uh he came with as a as a toy mm -hmm. but uh, yeah very fun fun page yeah. eric eric can you talk about the genie and finding the because the genie is part victim part he's he's almost maniacal or he's not vengeful can, can you sort of where where you landed with the genie um well i mean uh just just playing as a trickster character and seeing that uh cobra commander is both one malicious and two uh manipulable <laughs> uh it's uh it just it it uh it gave the genie something to work with um try to try to get the get the uh, guy to burn through his wishes so you can move on but um yeah no uh just just playing with playing with the trickster character there's there's not that's not something that's 
as often used in GI Joe. So it it was felt fresh. I hope. I mean, you know, I'm 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 sure you know within seconds of saying that, there's like, well, I have a whole bunch of uh, of new new uh, new examples to prove you wrong, but none of them came to me while I was while I was yeah. writing the book. But yeah, just like I said, mm-hmm. just something something easy, something fun, something different. Mm-hmm. Mostly, I was uh, I, the thing that I had the most fun with was seeing people. The there was a little bit of of crow eaten when they saw the the wish at the beginning, you know, here's, here's his five giant bats and he's sending them out mm. and like this, this is, why did he only do, I had it referenced right in the book. And then you find out that he was just using them as a distraction to steal mm-hmm. from gold reserves. And, and that's in the next book. And then all I, I see all these tweets. Oh, we didn't expect him to do something competent, <laughs> but uh, it was, it was, it was fun to see that uh, the, the harping on, on his decision just uh, removed, you know, gone the other way, the, the next, uh, the next issue on Twitter and, and such. I mean, it was just, it was, that was a for me, but mm-hmm. yeah. So Duke has more of a role than Flint. Eric, was that your choice or was Diana pushing for that? No, no. I, I, uh, I ran with, with Duke because I mean, the cartoons that I saw that specific voice uh, was clearest to me. And, and that just, that just made him an easy choice to, to put in the forefront because I, I could hear how he sounds in my head a lot easier. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's a weird way to make a choice, but that really was the way it went. <laughs> yeah. And then a question for, I guess, both Eric and Dan. So the, the Cobra base where the, where the, they all end up in the final to that one. Mm-hmm. Um, is that, uh, is that specifically the Cobra base that we see in the main title for season two? Or is that sort of inadvertent because Cobra bases eventually are going to look like that? Yeah, I in the script, I just wrote that they're on an artificial island and that there was uh, that, that the structure was there. And then and then gave it to to Dan to decide what he wanted to do with that, whether he wanted to use something from the toys uh, from the cartoon something that was a mishmash or original but other than the the cobra temple i i didn't specify too much because again he might find something that's easier to draw <laughs> than whatever i than whatever i suggest so yeah mm-hmm. it's it's kind of a a mishmash really the their headquarters is kind of takes from a few different versions of their headquarters because they on the show it seems like they maybe had like three or four so um, it was kind of like, yeah, and a mix between a bit of the toys. As you can see on the cover, it's more uh, based on the toy than the show. But um, yeah, and, and in the interiors is kind of a mish- mishmash as well. But uh, it was kind of more whatever um, was kind of fit into the, the script the best. So if that makes sense. But uh, I'm realizing, Dan, if we would have written in the Terror Drone, we could have probably snuck in a public enemy, can you? <laughs> Darn. Okay, oh. and then since we're looking at this cover right now, maybe for Dan and Luis, can you talk about the design of the genie? Yeah, they, yeah, I kind of um, bounced back and forth with Eric about it, and he was just make sure it doesn't look like anything that already exists. So uh, we wanted to stray away from, like, really famous genies like the disney one from aladdin or something we didn't want to make them blue now actually the the final color of the genie is luis's idea which i think 
turns out perfect. It really looks nice. Um, as for the the line, like the design of the genie, I really kind of leaned into the old Hanna Barbera show. I think it was called Shazam, which yeah. is yeah, yeah. I think I think I we were that, talking about that. Yeah, and a bit of Destro as well. So because he. I just imagine that most genies are bald for some reason. I don't know, or gins. <laughs> but uh, it, I kind of just kind of leaned into those designs a little bit more, but uh, tried to make them try to make it as unique as possible. And uh, yeah, hopefully people like it. But yeah, no, I, I love how he's purple with the white goatee. It turned out great. <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't see the white hair too often, so that that's oh, yeah, it's yeah, unique for sure. Nah, I don't know. Um, it was just a. Uh, I think it was lucky. I, I think I, I couldn't escape from the Disney genie, from Robin Williams' genie. I couldn't escape from it. So, <laughs> and I, do, I, I didn't want to go ref because it would be the Jafar genie. So mm -hmm. I was kind of trapped and I, it didn't look good in green and it didn't look uh, good in orange. So I just felt like it looked good on purple. And then the, the, black, the black hair just looked off. So I, I don't know why I tried black, uh, white and it just i thought it, it looked good then i sent it to the group and they thought it looked good or they pretended it looked good and so we went with it no it looked good it's it, yeah. and you know it worked right away and, and we knew it right away so yeah yeah for sure and it's kind of like you mixed the two colors the the jafar and the the robin williams those two colors together make purple there you go Oh yeah, like blue and red make purple. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Coloring lessons. <laughs> That's right. Eric, Excellent. was there was there any nudging or suggestions one way or another in terms of weapons? Because the the story does account in the final issue for their weapons appearing. Mm -hmm. Um, but it does feel like there are there are many panels where the Joes are not holding their weapons, and I wondered if that was a, a suggestion from higher up. They they didn't they didn't make any suggestions um, specifically, but uh, you know it was it was just I, I mean I, I guess it just came out in the in the way I wrote it that it didn't need it in some scenes and some in in, in other points that. Uh, that maybe Dan just didn't want to, didn't want to draw them. Uh, so, so yeah, no, I just, I don't know. I, if, if I would have had a, a personal choice, uh, you know, looking back and thinking if I had done something, if, if I, if I had gone um, intentional with it, I might, I might've written, I might've written less guns anyway. Um, and, and that's, and that's, and that's just on me, which is, which is kind of silly for a military <laughs> fiction book. But, um, you know, I just, uh, yeah, I, I might've gone that way anyway, but, uh, but, uh, Dan, Dan, uh, figured out ahead of me. So, <laughs> you know, I, we, you know, yeah, it's, I, I know it's military fiction and everything, but I mean, it, it's also, if they're firing at each other, somebody's going to get hit. We don't have the space to show them hit. We don't always have the space to show them hiding. So, you know, maybe we just, uh, <laughs> no ever gets we hit. do that. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, no, it's just it's it's yeah, it's that it's it's one of those things. I guess I didn't put as much thought into. Boy, I'm going to hear about this on Twitter, aren't I? I, I didn't I didn't put as much thought into while we were while we were uh, doing the book. Uh, you know, weapons in hands and 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 firing right away. So uh, that that would be on me, and I apologize. 
Think anything I, to apologize for? Oh yeah, my my question was not uh, a criticism, but well, an observation. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I no, no, the the apologizing is just is just getting out in front of the people who are going to come after me, saying, "What is wrong with you?" <laughs> I, I do think. I mean, I think this is a good point that th there's already so much to draw. All these characters, all these vehicles, and then mm -hmm. these very particular weapons. Yeah. So if you're giving your artist a break or inadvertently doing so, that's fair. But also, there is a logic that becomes a little silly in the show when you have these two lines of soldiers shooting at each other and no one's hitting anyone. Yeah. But they're sort of hitting things next to everyone. Mm -hmm. And then sooner or later, they're going to drop their weapons and punch. And so maybe you just get a step ahead of that and... There are some yeah. panels where there are fewer weapons, and then there's I always wondered how they ran out of ammo. It's unlimited lasers. Yeah, that's it. Right. You know, that's I just I like thought they run out. You know, I mean, because well, it's just like, oh, it doesn't work anymore. Yeah. Well, the the, uh, the show the show's inconsistent on this because yeah. Roadblock refers to them as lasers in one episode, but also in the opening of the movie when uh, when Flint is uh, excuse me when Hawk is firing, empty shell casings come out of his rifle. So mm -hmm. the animation is a little inconsistent on this. A little bit, but you know, <laughs> we we make do. We kind of played I, with that a bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I see the uh, the the page that uh, you got up there, over in the corner. That is that is definitely one that uh, that folks took a lot of notice of of uh, Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow actually getting to do a little bit of a mm -hmm. fight. And I know that that's not necessarily the way it played out in the show, but it would just it. I, I wanted to see Dan draw it, and I thought it would look really cool, <laughs> and it does look really cool. So that I am not apologizing for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because right. I mean to call it out specifically it, in the in the cartoon, it's often uh, what Spirit and and Storm Shadow were kind of the main kind of people mm -hmm. who would face face off, and it was the cartoon didn't kick. really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it was less. Yeah. Yeah. Less, yeah, less also, Snake Eyes versus Storm Shadow that we're used to in the, in the comics. But also in, in the show, to say that Storm Shadow and Quick Kick or Storm Shadow and Spirit face off, I think in total that happens twice for each of those pairings. And so yeah. th there are so many characters to cram in that to cite as precedent, you know, like, well, in the show, Storm Shadow and Spirit face off. It's like, well, if there had been 10 more episodes, invariably there would have been some scene where Storm Shadow would face off with someone else. And I think there is there is leeway in the brand. Mm -hmm. And even if this page sort of sideways winks at the comic book rather than the cartoon, uh, I think it makes sense. Like, it's not like kids who were watching the show in the 80s, many of them were also reading the comic. And I'm sure many of them were thinking, why aren't these two guys facing off in the show? Yeah, even if yeah, the show yeah, wasn't to get into their to see this when they're I mean, younger with their toys, you know. So I know I did. That's why I enjoyed drawing this page. <laughs> I, I think probably the the big reason is you're not going to get any any clever fight dialogue if you have these two fighting in the cartoon, and uh, you know that's you want to work that audio. Which, yeah, which is, <laughs> I mean, that 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 points to a bigger. I don't have confirmation on this, but I have long suspected that. Snake Eyes doesn't do as much in the cartoon because he doesn't speak. And whether it's the writer's not quite sure how to approach that, the writer's not confident that when the animation comes back from overseas, if the storyboarding caught some extra body language, that the animation would, would communicate it and then it would be satisfying on screen. Or if sort of writers and producers were, were saying, like, we don't need to push this character too much. He doesn't talk. It's sort of hard to deal with, right? Like. When you think of like a comparison that I often make in, in animation, thinking about animation is G.I. Joe and 
Batman the Animated Series from 1992. And Batman is paced, every episode is paced like a feature film, which is unusual for a 22 minute cartoon. And oftentimes the first minute of an episode of Batman starts with like a pan across a background, no one speaking and just sort of scene and tone setting as like two bank robbers are breaking into uh, a vault or someone's walking, right? And that kind of cinematic visual storytelling, we see that more in animation since then, right? And a lot of G.I. Joe episodes just start. And so maybe a character like Snake Eyes in animation that comes a little later that can handle more subtlety or has a bigger budget or has a slightly better production schedule um, can, can communicate the subtlety of uh, such a character. I like this page. I was very excited to read this page and it didn't feel like it was breaking the rules of the, of the show. But going back to my sort of one sentence review at the beginning of this episode, the reason why I like this comic book series so much is that nothing broke the rules of the cartoon. And you all know Diana firsthand as protective of the cartoon and you'll have to take my word for it. I'm very protective of the cartoon. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk to this page, the, um, Snake Eyes versus Storm Shadow, anymore, uh, Dan? Is you've obviously played with the uh, the layout of the the page uh, mm -hmm. a little bit with the sort of slanted, jagged kind of panel borders. Yeah, I, I kind of wanted to just have fun with it and with the layout and the the kind of the gutters were meant to kind of represent like slashes. You know, I always think of that with mm -hmm. the with the swords, and I actually gave you this page too to show that even like sometimes i'll make huge mistakes and how <laughs> how uh important it was for us to get things right um you'll see in the final issue storm shadow's belt is on the correct side but when i originally uh -huh. drew it i drew it on the wrong side because somehow i had flipped my reference <laughs> so i had to re go back and redraw all that stuff but um it is it, it was just so important for us to make sure that we were getting it as accurate as possible with the designs specifically in my case so but um you know i just i really like this page i think it turned out i'm usually yeah. quite a harsh critique of my own work but <laughs> i think this one turned out well <laughs> and lot, talking of about sort of Talking about layouts and, and gutters and, and whatnot, I'll just flip back to that earlier page that we were looking at with the not visionaries. This happens quite a lot on, on, on in the in the issue itself that you've got kind of a a bleed out from like one of the main panels in this case the the one with the fate, uh, the fatal fluffy here, um, which fills up the entire page. So so normally we'd be having like the you know the edges of the page being either black. Or, or white and then sort of the panels ring fence themselves but uh, we get a, a lot of bleed out of uh, of one of the the panels to fill up the entire page uh, pages background which is um i think a, a really effective technique that you've you've used here thanks yeah no it's a, i kind of like to mix it up on each page and for years of doing ghostbusters i was very particular about making sure i know eric probably smiling at this <laughs> I always drew everything horizontally <laughs> and I was like, why don't you just mix it up sometimes so I was whenever I do electronics with Eric in particular I'll I'll have that in the back of my mind like Eric's saying you gotta don't make everything horizontal. <laughs> play with the panels a bit and you know just be a bit more creative with the layout overall so but uh, I like doing the 
the large kind of bleed out panels that are really large. And uh, I think it's just nice to have that visually. It looks looks good. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It almost sort of like makes you imagine like a a big art board with the sort of the painted background where mm-hmm. where the characters are actually you know are cells on t- on top of the the background. Yeah. You can see beyond like the field guide of whatever it would have been on the on your television screen. So you can see the full background instead of just part of it. Yeah. Let's talk about SFX, baby. Let's talk about pew and scree. Let's talk about shooting gun things and the sound effects. We'll see. Let's talk about SFX. Let's talk about SFX. Eric, since Neil Yuatake is not on this call, I wanted to ask mm-hmm. Eric about sound effects. Eric, did you did you create the onomatopoeia of each sound effect? Was that? Did... Yep. Okay. So so this one, this is an issue three. This is a wonderful sound effect uh, of the shark coming uh-huh. up out of the water. That's those those letters are your choices. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I, I I got them in the I got them in the script. So so Dan will have uh, an idea of the the spacing. Uh, same as everything else. And, um, you know, some, sometimes, uh, sometimes I should say, sometimes Tom will come in and, and tweak, but, uh, but I'm pretty sure that, that one was, was, was in the script because, uh, yeah, it, it sounds like something I'd, I'd write <laughs> the, the, the bloop of coming up, coming through the water. Yeah. Bloop. <laughs> it's a great sound. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I spy, spy with, with my little eye. eye. A lot of the the sort of the extra added fun of the issue is sort of just trying to keep an eye out in the background of some of the you know little guest appearances and what else you could spot in there. So I was going to call out a few of those. Gung Ho unfortunately was missing his uh, marine tattoo on his chest. I think that uh, that for for legal oh, right for reasons her. probably yeah. wanted to stay clear of of that insignia. But uh, yeah, I think he could have just borrowed Mainframe's hat and sort of held that against his chest in, instead. Maybe, maybe the big age doesn't yet realize that Mainframe's helmet has, has that. <laughs> show. They're only paying attention to Gung Ho because they've made that toy again recently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, yeah, I, I get the sense that may, maybe you could have just put in a, a, a globe without the sort of insignia or something and kind of got away with, with that. That would con- convey enough. No, without, Mark, without it being on on the nose. Mark, if it's a globe, then it's Captain Planet. <laughs> okay, He's people would have thought he was Captain Planet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. It's an easy conclusion to reach. So we we talked about Colonel Slash, uh, Games Master is is also in there, hidden <laughs> away in the in the background, in between uh, Xandar and Zorana in 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 the crowd of the uh, the gladiator match. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got to be particularly eagle-eyed for that one, I think, because you've just got a hint of a bow tie and a beard. Not mm-hmm. a lot to go, go on. Well, obviously, Fatal Fluffy from Pyramid of Darkness is playing a significant role in the in the Gladiator arena. Mm-hmm. And um, a fun one was was there was the anim- animated version of Road Pig, who I think did appear in Deke form yeah. with the orange hair, but uh, but not in uh, his classic uh, outfit. Um, yeah, those uh, those ninety colors in the the yeah. deep animation. <laughs> it's quite uh, they, quite the quite the uh, palette. On that. I think that's Major Blood under the turret of that bright orange tank. I think that's oh, Sonic oh. Fighters Major Blood and Sonic Fighters right. Road Pig. Mm-hmm. Speaking of unreasonable colors, 
Garish. Garish. I quite like that Mage of Bloods. That's the one with all the grenades. It's like a grenade for every day of the month. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we had uh, Keel Hall sort of hiding behind Snake Eyes in, in one panel who doesn't appear in the, the um, cartoon because that's Admiral Ledger. For, for whatever reason, they, they had this uh, other character as the, the Admiral commanding the, the flag. Mm-hmm. That was a nice little uh, hiding appearance. Um, yeah, Tim, do you know why why we didn't get Keel Hall we got this other guy? Not directly, but uh, my, my guess is that it has to do with the timing of mm-hmm. when the animation's being written, model sheets are being designed versus the timeline of Hasbro finalizing mm-hmm you know, figure and, and there had been making the flag was a real challenge. So I don't know that it had delays, but those timelines may not have lined up. And and the show was in the first 10 episodes, the first two miniseries, the show was making efforts to create brass above the level of Duke, who were never going to get toys. And so mm-hmm. this just Admiral Ledger feels in keeping with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that was all of the things that I had spotted to call out. But I don't know, uh, Eric or, or Dan, was there was there anything else that that maybe we've not spotted that you'd like to to shout out, or perhaps some of the things that ended up on the cutting room floor? Oh, I, I know that there's going to be Easter eggs that Dan put in there that I didn't catch yet. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, D- Diana mentioned that Duke's got got the uh, the kitty mug. Um, <laughs> from from the right. that he's oh, been sure using it at the end, yeah, yep. on the on the last panel, yeah. Did, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, please, you go. Oh, okay. Um, I'm trying. To, I didn't put a lot like compared to previous comics we've done, like Ghostbusters. I didn't put a lot of Easter eggs in the four issues because I kind of considered the whole arc to be an Easter egg in a way, like a homage. So usually that's mm. what I do. Easter eggs. It's kind of like a little little tribute. So I'll sprinkle in throughout the issues. But um, yeah, other than kind of maybe the the characters we did remove, I guess those might have been kind of Easter eggs. Um, and I'm trying to think of anything else. I see two things in issue four. I see on page two. Oh yeah, the vehicles. Like yeah, there's spider thing. That spider thing. I, th- I think that's from picking the radioactive crystals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then. Uh, oh. Is this uh, this is this the same page as as the kitty mug? We see uh, Hector Ramirez yes. uh, re- reporting from uh, the Statue of Liberty, yeah, which is mm-hmm. which is a, a double Easter egg because, um, of course, we think of the Statue of Liberty as related to the animated movie opening, but Hector Ramirez is in the script for the animated movie, and his scene was cut. And oh. also, this is not an Easter egg. This is just tragic. Um, I will. You, you, you've maybe been aware that the animated movie for its anniversary had a Fathom Events, like two-day limited theatrical movie theater release. Mm-hmm. One was two days ago, and the other is in 40 minutes, and I can't quite make it. Oh, darn. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. I didn't know when they were taking place, but I own a copy of the movie, so I can, I can watch it anytime. Yes, I, I, have, I, <laughs> I, I own several different kinds of copies but i i did think if, if this trip that's not my is, fault is it tim you just you just can't make it anyway there's a little too much going on i'm on a family trip i'm at a hotel i'm in california 
think the nearest theater is Redwood City. I, I did go to the Fathom Events website last night, and I thought, but I've got, I've got most most of the movie memorized, so it, yeah. it's okay. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, no, and it, also the fun thing about uh, Hector Ramirez is he appears in, mm -hmm. uh, you, obviously you guys know this, but he appears in a lot of different Sunbow projects. So one of, one of my favorites is Inhumanoids. So uh, maybe one day we'll get to do that comic. That'd be fun. <laughs> There's a, I don't know if, I don't know if this is an Easter egg, um, but on the cover to three, the artist who did the cover to three, uh, the cover B, excuse me. Mm -hmm. These look like these look like the MIGs that um, Major Blood attacks Cobra eight, uh, Joe HQ in the first scene of the first episode before Cobra even has Rattlers. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so that that may be that reference because they're sort of triangular uh, fixed wing. So um, question I had was <laughs> a question I really had was we're we're only in what. June at the moment, IDW has the license till the end of the year. Is there any chance we can fit in any more animated stuff in between now and the end of the year? We, d we did most of this last year. Uh, <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> no, unfortunately, there's there's no chance. The way comics work, the production schedule and, and down the line, all the stuff, we would have had to have started working on this. You know, probably in January to do to do another one because um, it's two months to before uh, before regular solicits and then the regular solicits come out two months after that. So um, yeah, no. If 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 we had something done, ready and approved right now, it wouldn't come out till November. And and yeah, it's just unfortunately it's a no go. So right. the next the next uh, publisher, if they if they give us a yell, then we can maybe do something and then by that point come out the end of twenty twenty three beginning of 2024 but um mm -hmm. yeah that's just how the public publishing schedule is shorter in comics than books but still longer than some people realize some people me this is longer than i realized <laughs> I, I, I hear you on this timeline i just want to throw out there doesn't need to be a four issue miniseries it could be a one shot yeah no no i mean it's seriously the just the just the approvals process it's it's too late in the game plus Dan's Dan's working on another book. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I, I would like to add though, big thanks to Luis as well for this one because the issue four was the fastest I've ever drawn a comic book in my <laughs> career. I think we did it in 19 days. And they oh, wow. take me 30. So I was doing like two pages a day on that, which is very rare for me because it's quite exhausting. <laughs> but uh, you, usually I work like maybe 10, 12 hour days. So those were longer days. <laughs> Didn't get outside much, <laughs> but certainly worked. it was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, big thanks to Luis for putting in that extra time too, because the pages look great when they're coming. Nah, it wasn't that hard, man. Don't worry. No? Okay. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. Actually, sometimes I, I have to wait like, I have to watch a movie or something waiting for you because I don't know, you're too slow for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But this time it was, it was intense because yeah, like they say, sorry guys for the short deadline, but we have to do it. And you at the beginning were really concerned and thought that you wouldn't make it. And maybe they will have to bring a, another artist to finish the job. But 
you didn't say anything to, to Tom or Eric. You just pull it off and just, I don't know how much coffee did you drink. Maybe you have to check your body, go to the doctor to check if yeah. you're okay after all that <laughs> coffee. And I just have to keep up. I mean, I couldn't just say like, ah, oh, yeah, Dan did it. But yeah, I'm busy, guys, with something else and just relaxing and watching a movie. So no, I had to do it. And, you know, it's, it's easy. We've been working together for 10 years, like almost 100 issues, I don't know. And so I'm used to it. Uh, I like your pace. <laughs> yeah. As a reader, I'm busy, will, Dan. Hey. But Sorry. but somehow you did uh, you did find a few minutes to to fit in uh, a page of the 40th anniversary uh, special redrawing one of I the. I can't even the remember doing that then, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that that's an example of me actually inking a page. So I did ink that one. But yeah, no, that was a lot of fun. They just. Uh, I can't remember the editor who contacted me, so my apologies in advance. But um, yeah, they were just like, oh, like, would you like to take on one page and uh, of the, the silent issue? And it was, a, I had my choice of any page, which was super nice, but I had to go with Destro because he's one of my favorite characters. So, And I got to draw in little characters in the background there on the chessboard. So, but yes, uh, yeah, yes. I was quite humbled to be a part of that on 40th. So. Did, did the thought cross your mind to try and draw the page in the style of the animated series? I, it did at first, and then I thought it's too similar because I was actually working, I think, on issue three at this time, and I wanted a break from it. So <laughs> I give myself a bit of uh, creative difference, and uh, this is, it was a great opportunity to do it. And I didn't quite copy the original art style as well. So I kind of went with a bit of a hybrid of how I kind of would handle more of a, a comic, a traditional comic page, you know, mm -hmm. style. So, but uh, yeah, no, it was a lot of fun to do that one. So great issue. As a reader, I want to jump back to Saturday morning number four. I did not, I could not tell that it was any kind of rush job. It looks, it looks as developed yeah. and consistent as the other issues. Yeah, but yeah, it was really important to me to keep the quality level at that same bar, if not higher, because each issue I tried to get better at drawing the characters. And I'll, I'll look back at some, of, like maybe an issue two, there's a, a drawing of Lady J that it was like, eh, I didn't, you know, I could have done a bit better. But there, I also have to, I've learned over the years that uh, perfection is an, an illusion. I can just try my best on each page and try to get better each time. So uh, I can't spend like tons of hours on one panel. But um, yeah, no, it's the setting the bar high and, and keeping it and trying to match the show as closely as possible was always the the main goal for me. So I'm grateful to hear that you guys uh, didn't notice <laughs> <laughs> two pages a day. So. Yeah. So I, I own a comic book store and we we always have G.I. Joe issues for sale. And uh, Mark and I talk in our other episodes where we're reviewing all the other comics, uh, old and new. One of my litmus tests for a comic, if I'm, if I'm giving it a grade, uh, is could I give it to a novice or a non-fan? And A, would I feel sort of comfortable doing that? And B, would they enjoy it? And there are issues of so the regular GI Joe that I would love to give, uh, even you know even new issues issue two hundred and ninety so uh, so and so, a comic that I'd feel good giving to someone who doesn't really know what GI Joe is. This is still a satisfying you know comic book read, uh, and then there are issues where it's actually not a good issue or it sort of just doesn't make sense. It's not satisfying, 
And all four of these, I would feel very good. I have felt very good having for sale for sort of the, the nostalgic non-fan. Like, oh, there's a G.I. Joe. Well, that looks like that thing that I recognize. And in reading issues three and four just this morning, the, the story and my enjoyment of it escalated as stuff started to come together. The, the, the misdirect that Eric had for issue one had me uh, dissatisfied. And uh, also issue one felt short because, you know, it's 19 pages. Uh, mm -hmm. But that's the problem I have with many comic. I mean, you know, I want every comic book to be double sized. Mm -hmm. um, so both as a reader and as a grumpy, protective fan of <laughs> the Sunbow cartoon and, you know, the Deke cartoon for that matter, um, but also as a retailer, I, I think it's it's a it's it's a bummer that the schedule can't be different such that this team can't squeeze out something else before the end of the year. And goodness, if a future rights holder is listening or watching, uh, this is this is an easy goal. Uh, goal sports sports uh, analogy, right? Like this is this is a bullseye, right? Like make hey next publisher, do make more of these. Yeah, just get go touch touchdown. Give me, give me a, right. a, a good time to do them in, <laughs> so I don't burn out. <laughs> That's all I'd ask. So, yeah. but it, yeah, the, the nice thing about it, like I can reiterate what you're saying, Tim, is that it's a very approachable comic for anybody, even if you're just a casual fan of GI Joe. So, um, you could just pick it up and and read it and just have a good time with it. So. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed reading every script, and I I, read, I don't read them all at once. I read them each issue, so it's kind of like I'm experiencing it like a reader would. So I think that helps. But yeah, no, it's um, truly truly an honor to be a part of it, even even for uh, four issues. And uh, I'm I'm sure I can speak on behalf of everybody on the creative team that we'd love to do more of them as well. So yeah, it would be fun, definitely, and uh, you know. With Knockwood, you know, maybe maybe we'll get a chance. Yeah, one of the one of the elements that made this work so well was was Eric, which I thought was a sort of masterful move. Was was sort of not not um, dilly dallying too too much. You get right into the thick of the plots. You know, pretty much page one. It's like let, let's not let's not kind of worry about kind of you know the whys and whatnot of the the genie. Here he is. You know, <laughs> here's the lamp. Let's get on with the let's get on with the plot. And uh, and I think that just sort of made it feel so you know really punchy and just paced it. You know, um, you know, given well, that we've only got sort of nineteen ish pages to play yeah. with each time. It's... That's that's what happens when you have nineteen pages. Yeah, <laughs> you got to go a little faster. Yeah, and not not everything needs to be explained too. Yeah, I think sometimes over-explaining things in stories ruins the mystery and the illusion of what you're, what makes it so exciting. So yeah. something else that I like about page one of issue one of this is that it starts with the villains, and uh, if you if you think of particular episodes of GI Joe, they start with the villains and. I think that's just an indirect way of saying what Mark was saying. We just get into it, right? Like, well, he's already he already has the lamp, right? But um, another version of this would be we start at Joe HQ, and there are a couple Joes at the big monitor, and Duke says, "I'm getting some, I'm getting a, a transmission from somewhere mainframe. Can you pinpoint it? I think that's Cobra Island. Like, what's what's this energy signature I'm getting? And then we cut and Cobra Commander, you know, I found it, um, mm -hmm. but. Uh, if you if you start with the villains, you maybe you can hook your reader that much more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
with a five episode mini series at cartoon they'd have probably spent you know quite a while sending out different teams into the world to find out where the genie lamp was hidden and the joe's teams would divide up and go and try and stop them and yeah yeah if this was a five-part miniseries and eric either was writing it with a different schedule in mind or someone else had written the story i think we would have seen the dreadnoughts finding the item but yeah, more likely. Yeah, that'd be kind of a cool little amendment to uh, a book sometime if we ever get to do more. It'd be kind of cool to see that. They're my favorite villains on the cartoon. So I was always asking Eric to put Zartan in there. Mm -hmm. as much as <laughs> and I, and, and mean, meanwhile here, I'm just, I, I love uh, <clears throat> translating Chris Latta's voice whether it was Starscream with the Transformers or whether it was Cobra Commander, I just I just have fun having that voice, uh, you know, rolling it around in my head and finding the words for it. So I was I was glad to to get to, to get to play with uh, the Cobra Commander. Cool. Um, I think uh, I've monopolized your time long enough, so we're probably going to have to to wrap up. But I'm sure we could keep on talking. So. Uh, let's ask the normal questions of uh, where can people find you? Um, so let's go, uh, Lewis, first. Where can people find you if they want to find more from you? Uh, you can usually find me with Dan and Eric. So if you find a book <laughs> that the name says Shannon or Burnham, that's usually me. And the colors, nobody notices, but that, that's usually me. And um, I just finished uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the last running. If you're a Ninja Turtles fan as much as I was, and because it's the same time, like we like Ghostbusters, we like Ninja Turtles, we like G.I. Joe, Transformers, all that 80s stuff, and you like Kevin Eastman and the Turtles, you can check it out. There's a hardcover, and it's really good. It's uh, 200 pages, 202 pages, and maybe you, you can check it out. And that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah, but tell them about your Instagram, Luis. Yeah, there it is. Thanks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the last running. I hope you like it. It's all Kevin, like like GI Joe. It's all Eric and Dan. So I'm just part of it, and uh, I'm lucky to be part of that project and this project and every project that I get a chance to do with Tim and with Dan and with Eric. And so that's it. And my Instagram is uh, I think it's on the bottom of my uh, avatar. It's Luis the Colorist. Mm -hmm. You can check out all the projects that I try to make. Like Eric says, I have to. Don't sleep in order to work all of the projects. <laughs> That's me if you're going to find me. Excellent. Nice. So, uh, Dan, where can people look for you, both online and uh, your current work, without spoiling anything that you're not allowed to have announced? <laughs> I don't know if we're allowed to talk about that, Eric. Are we? No. I, I, it hasn't been announced yet, so okay. better not. I cannot say anything about it, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, let me think of... Uh, Right now, I only have Twitter, so you can find me under. I think it's just Danny Shoning on there. I think there's another Dan Shoning out there, but uh, he's cool too. I haven't met him. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, sometimes I'm I'm kind of getting back into posting a bit more art and stuff on there. But um, I do have uh, one thing I do every year that I, I wouldn't mind promoting is that uh, I draw post-it notes every year for Halloween. So. If you want, if you're big into Halloween like I am, and uh, you like to see lots of little sketches and and, and fun homages to uh, movies and even horror stories and stuff like that, uh, you could check out uh, the Twitter, and I'll post those in the month of October. 
after a lot of fun. So, uh, but uh, I guess that's all I can share. That's kind of boring, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to wait for the announcement. <laughs> Keep yeah, keep eyes eyes peeled for the next announcement. Uh, and uh, Eric, what about you? We were looking at your website earlier on today, but yeah, yeah, it's you know I, I really eventually got to uh, change the change the URL for that because it's 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 tricky to say. It's burnamania.com. So my last name burn ham, and then mixed with mania. There we go. Um, but uh, I'm I'm easily found on Twitter, which uh, which just at Eric Burnham. And then Instagram is is the same, and um, yeah, stuff stuff that I got coming out. I've got uh, Potions Inc. from Mad Cave. The first issue just came out uh, here a few weeks ago. Lady Hell and Army of Darkness versus Reanimator are coming out pretty quick from Dynamite, and uh, and then the the uh, coming out this fall the uh, Saturday morning adventures for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles with Tim Laddie. Uh, that's uh, that's what I'm working on right now. Really excited about. And then, um, and then I got a, I got a comic strip up a couple of days a week at downsidecomic.com. Excellent. Yeah. And Tim, what about you? Where can people find you? My comic book store is in Somerville, Massachusetts. Hub Comics. My GI Joe blog is a realamericanbook.com. And separate from those two things, uh, my two creative partners and I post. Uh, humorous videos and video essays at atomicabe.com. And just reaching a million views. Woohoo! A week ago, we had a million views on, on YouTube total. That's awesome. Wow. Right Excellent. On. So you can find us uh, at talkingjoe.co.uk. Uh, you can find our stuff early. If you're like Richard, Sam, Jay, Bill, Christopher, and Justin, and back up Patreon. So uh, I think that is pretty much us done. I'd just like to say thank you to all of you for, for creating this amazing set of four comics, which uh, we both enjoyed uh, reading very much. And uh, I've got our fingers and toes crossed that we might be able to see more of at some point in the future if the, the stars align. Mm -hmm. um, and a big thank you for just uh, taking the time and being so generous with your time today to talk to us uh, all about the, the project. Um, so, so a big thank you and yep, hats off. <laughs> yeah. Thanks to all the fans that supported the book. We wouldn't be doing it without you. So. Yeah. It's uh, it's huge. Yeah, we really uh, appreciate it. I appreciate the the support from the from the readers. Uh, appreciate the time on the podcast here. Thanks for having mm -hmm. us. And yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I was just uh, I I was just blown away by the response to this. And uh, again, like Dan said, thanks to everybody. Mm -hmm. So I think is that is us done and me time for me to put Tim on the spot by saying, remember that. Nobody beats talking Joe, a real, uh, an international podcast. <laughs> With this point, th uh, three people in America, one person uh, near Mexico City somewhere, and me on the south coast of England. I'm in Canada, actually. But I guess it's close. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. Same I'm really thing. close. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I could do that again. That's okay. <laughs> Two people from America, one person in Canada, one person in Mexico, and one person who's no longer here, but was in a bonsai shop in America. <laughs>
Laters.